when studying the book of Acts, it's so easy to forget that the men that we've been reading about and studying about are sinners saved by grace. Uh, We've seen so many supernatural things done at the hand of the apostles, it's sometimes hard to really recognize what we would have in common with them. Just kind of a couple examples of that would be, for example, would be that Peter preaches one sermon on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. For how many of you has that ever happened, right? Uh, instead, for many of us, we've been sharing the gospel relentlessly for years, the individuals we wanted to see saved. And for some, we've never been able to have the privilege of leading somebody, their hand into faith in Jesus Christ. Likewise, the apostles, seems, everything they touch seems to be healed. Everyone they touch seems to be healed. Supernatural acts and miracles are going on all the time. And for some of you who've been Christians for some length of time, you may have been pre- praying for people to be healed for for years and yet still haven't seen an authentic miracle of God actually occur. And so these are difficult. Sometimes, again, are are these men actually like us? Uh, Do we have anything in common at all? I think this this divide is especially true when we begin to think of things like temptations, doubts, and sins. Uh, When we begin to talk about the things that you and I deal with on a day-to-day basis, it's hard to see that they were struggling with the same thing. Part of that reason is because the Bible doesn't mention a whole lot. At least the book of Luke doesn't mention a lot of it, and that is because it's not the purpose of the book. The book wasn't written by, by Luke to be able to, it wasn't a tell-all of all the moral failures of the apostles. Boy, that would be a popular book, right? People would want to read that one. And, but it's not why it was written. Instead, we realize that the book was written for this purpose. That is to demonstrate the continued work of Jesus Christ through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. So those are the evidences that we see throughout this particular book. But this is what I love about the Bible. Even though it may not be bearing all, all the time, it's never, it never shies away from revealing the downfalls and the sinfulness of God's people, whether in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or even in the book of Acts. In fact, we see that very thing at the end of chapter 15. In fact, we see two of the biggest stars in the book of Acts, Barnabas and Paul, begin to go at it, have an argument and a division so big that it ends up dividing them and they go their own separate ways. So there are many ways we can't really relate to some of these apostles and what they do and what they don't do. But one area I guarantee every one of us can identify with them, and that is in broken relationships. You either have or you will sometime in your life be in a close-knit relationship with somebody that, that, that divisions will end up breaking in, and you may, you may choose to say, you know what, that's enough. We're going to go our own way. All of us can relate to this. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to kind of just look at the story, see what happened with them, what caused this tension to blow this relationship wide open, and then to draw, try to draw some helpful principles and application to us that are clearly from the text of Scripture. So let's look at this. Look at verse 36. The Bible says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, he says, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So a little bit of background, kind of catch you up, if you will. Um, The church in the early part of Acts chapter 15 had something which was the council at Jerusalem. Uh, The religious leaders gathered together. Uh, They were trying to determine what does it take for a person to be born again, and they concluded 
to repent and place your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. That was, that was the outcome. That was, that was their findings. So they took those find, findings, wrote it on a sheet of paper in a letter, and now what Paul and Barnabas do, does is they take this letter, they take it back with them to the church there at Antioch, and they begin to share these truths and unpack them to this Gentile church. Well, they're there for an unspecified period of time. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how long, but we know Paul doesn't like to be in any one place Place for a very long period of time. He begins to get antsy, and his mind and his heart begins to gravitate to all these believers that he met and led to faith in Christ on his first missionary journey, and he wants to go back, visit them, and to continue to disciple them, see how they're doing. So he, tell, he says this to Barnabas, but there's a little bit of a problem. Look at verse 37. The Bible says, now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, John Mark, let me introduce you to him. This is, again, another guy that has two names, right? Nobody seems to have new names in this book, one name. You know, it's, it's, it's Peter and Simon Peter, and it's Paul and Saul Paul, and, and then we got all this. And for me, if I had two names, it'd be Mike. You know what the second would be, Blastus. Kwiatkowski, if you know the book of whatever. Anyway, some of you don't get that. It's okay. Love you. Um, anyway, um, so, so there's two names. Here's another two-name guy. John Mark enters into the picture, and, and he is, this is important to note, he is the cousin of Barnabas. So this begins to kind of let you know the connections here. He's the cousin of Barnabas, and he actually went on the first missionary trip with Barnabas and with Paul. But he didn't make it all the way through. He got almost halfway through, and they got to the city of Pamphylia. And John Mark says, that's enough. I'm bailing. I'm going back home to my hometown of Jerusalem. So he goes. Now, what apparently is happening, I'm having to kind of read between the lines here a little bit. What apparently happens is that while Barnabas and Paul are actually in Antioch, what happens is Mark goes from Jerusalem to Antioch. He has a change of heart, and now he wants to join up, get the band back together again, and he wants to be their assistants now as they're traveling. And so Barnabas, of course, this is his cousin, of course you can come on this trip. We would love to have you on this trip. Some of you have done this with your family, right? You, your, your wife is like, hey, I can't wait for this vacation. And by the way, uh, I invited my mom and dad on the vacation, and, and somebody's not happy within the household with this. And so, so Paul is not okay with this. We read about this in verse 39. It says, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Now, note this, that that the Greek word that's translated sharp uh, disagreement uh, literally speaks of having violent emotion. It, it, It describes a sudden attack of violent expression. So this is serious. This isn't one of those minor disagreements where we agree to disagree and, or sit down and go, well, let's just talk over coffee. It'll be fine and, and, and you know, all that. They, these guys are going after each other. This is incredibly serious, but it, it, not only is it serious, uh, to be on, honest with you, it's a little bit surprising. I mean, we might expect this to, to be kind of the, how somebody responds if they're, if they're carnal and, and not walking with Christ. But these are two of the heroes of the faith. This is Barnabas, the son of encouragement. 
This is a guy who is constantly ministering to other people. This is a guy who sold his own property to be able to give the proceeds to poor people within the church, to be able to minister to them. This is a guy who was set apart by the church in Jerusalem to be able to go and to take the gospel uh, to the Gentile people. This was a great man of God. And then on the other side, you have Paul. Well, he's Paul, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot to say except for everything And that he had a supernatural encounter with Christ. Christ appeared to him. Christ set him apart to be able to be an apostle unto the Gentiles. He was was the greatest missionary who ever lived. He, He wrote the majority of the New Testament. That should be enough said. So these are giants in the faith, but they also had a great history with one another. Um, If you remember back earlier in the book, when Paul first came to faith in Christ, nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. had something to do with him uh, beating believers, and now believers want to kind of shun him a little bit, not not really sure if he's really converted or not. And so nobody wants to have anything to do with him, including the apostles. But what we find is Barnabas is the only one who actually reaches out, goes to him, and says, hey, Paul, I believe that God did a work in you. Now let's go back to the apostles, and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and tell people that this is a true work for you, bring you together. This is, the, this is how their relationship started. Then they continue to move, and they begin to be sent out by the church, and they begin to go to place to place. They serve together. They work together. They sweat together. They even suffer together. At one point, we read that on this missionary tour that, that Paul was stoned. It doesn't say that Barnabas was, but he, we, we think that most likely he could have been. If that was the case, then they suffered together. If not, Barnabas was there to be able to kind of heal the sufferings of Paul through that stoning. So this is an immense, these are two incredibly godly men, as godly as, as you can ever imagine, and they have this incredibly amazing, long historical, probably at least a decade together of working together, and now there is an argument that arises that basically makes them go their own way and want nothing to do with one another. That's the story. What do we do with it? Let me give you kind of three things. I think what this story does is it serves as a warning to us. I think it does two things. Number one, it's just basically telling us that this is, in order to understand what happens to the rest of the story, you have to understand the division here. So it's telling us historically why what is about to happen is going to happen. But I think it's more than that. I think it, 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 it serves as a warning to everybody who's in any kind of relationship with it all. I think there's three warnings. First of all, be aware that divisions can occur anywhere. Divisions in relationships can occur anywhere with anyone. Be aware that no relationship is safe from divisions that arise that have the potential to destroy the relationship. Not between two godly men, not between a husband and wife, not between a son and, a son and his father or a mother and her daughter, not between two BFFs, not even between two godly people within the own church going to the same church. There can be differences and arguments that arise that really threaten whether they're going to continue to walk together at all. And this is just a reality of life. And so it's important for us to know this, this story is to let us know that we're all vulnerable. Why is that important for us? Because knowing that there are dangers helps us to, to, is the first line of defense. It helps us to know these dangers, to recognize them, to look at them, to recognize and to prepare for them as they're coming. Now, as some of you know, and I'll say it again, because for, for some reason I just never get tired of saying it. After I was fired from my first pastorate, 
all right? It's just, I don't know why that just never gets old. But after I was fired from my first pastor, and before I got to come and pastor here at Mercy Hill, um, I took a job at UPS, all right? I dressed, I was a man in brown, right? Um, they did not, it was over Christmas. I couldn't find anybody. Um, basically, my resume is great for ministry, has nothing on it that helps me anywhere else. So my dad's statement, if you're not in ministry, praise God you have that, because if not, you would die, all right? That's basically... My loving father's final words, all right? So, not really his final words, but, uh, and, and so the idea there is I was working with them, had to have some way, didn't have a job. I mean, things were really looking up. We were living with Larissa's mom, and so, you know, nothing says independence like that, and we're grown up. And uh, so, we're living with them, needed a job, went to UPS, and so they hired me, and uh, they didn't allow me to drive the brown truck. Um, they, they let me sit on this little jumpy seat. Uh, kind of down near the floorboard. Some of you know what that is. And this was just over Christmas. They, they made it very clear, we're going to use you like a little elf delivering gifts over Christmas, but then after that, you're done. You're, you're out of here. And we're like, all right. And so I was very excited about my job. I didn't want to mess it up. And I remember driving around, and, and, and I got my first package, and the guy would just hand it to me. He goes, go up there, but this is what you got to do. Make sure that the address lines up with what's on the package. Now, this is not rocket science, right? And so I get the package, and I, I go over, and I open up this little gate. It's like my first house that I go to. Open up this little gate, r- you know, run up, get up to the door, looking at the sign, looking down. And all of a sudden, have you ever known, felt that feeling that you're not alone? Uh, I, I look over, and coming around the house is Cujo, all right? <laughs> Which is, you may not know who that is, big, nasty dog, all right, coming around the thing. I do what any burly, awesome, independent, rugged man does. I dropped the box, ran for my life, right? I run back towards the gate. I had shut the gate, and instead of opening it again, I jumped over the gate, right? (laughs) Not really jumped over the gate, but actually fell over the gate to the other side, to safety. Kind of felt like, yeah, I don't share this story with very many people, but now apparently I do. Fall over to the other side, kind of feel out, you know, like the wind is knocked out of me. There's Cujo on the other side. I want to eat you. I want to eat you. And so I get, get away. And so from that point on, don't you know that that was a sign for me to be far more cautious for everywhere that I would go after this. And I really appreciate it. I, up to this point, I thought people were crazy for putting signs that says, beware of dog, right? And I'm like, oh, this, why, why do people have that? But I became grateful for signs that said, beware of dog. Even more grateful for those who said, and you may have this sign that says, beware of the dog, right? I mean, it's one thing to beware of a dog. It's another one to beware of the dog, And so every time I would see a sign or I'd come up with a gate, here's what I would do from there on out. I'd scope it out. Hey, come here, boy. There you go. There's a little treaty. Here's a little treaty. And go in. You're looking. I never came even close to getting beat again. Beat again. That's a whole other story. But um, uh, bit again. Why? Because I was cautious. And what I'm saying is, is understand this. The Word of God is not trying to warn you to steal your joy. It's, it's not there, and it's not telling you, hey, watch out for these things to be able to snatch all, all the fun out of your life. It's there to let you know that there's danger lying ahead. You need to be aware of it in whatever relationship you have, and it is there. And not only does it warn us from a story, but there are warnings all the way through the Word of God, letting us know how you and I are to cultivate and help and to, and to be able to make sure that our, 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 there's none of these divisions that rise up within these important relationships. Do you understand that the relationships are some of the greatest precious gifts that God has given us with one another? 
It's the relationships at the very end of life. It's not, hey, I should have gotten more cars. I should have gotten more of this. What people gravitate to are those relationships that mean the most to them. They are the greatest, most precious gifts God gives us apart from himself. But even that is a relationship. And so what God, what we find is the scriptures continually warn us, for example, not only through stories like this, but when the Bible says, hey, listen, um, don't, don't, Go to, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, I find this interesting that it's actually Paul who writes this. And I wonder if Paul's even reflecting maybe on his own experience when he says, when he says, be angry and sin not, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. What is he saying, man? He goes, I remember back then. I remember just day after day after day this eating at me and eating at me and eating at me. And finally, pff, everything blew up. Or how about passages that I think are so great, we're so familiar with them, but yet we so ignore Matthew chapter 18, which says, if your brother sins against you, go to him. If there's a problem, you go to that person. If they've sinned against you, if you feel like you've slided, you don't sit back and fester in it. You go to them, approach them, and say, hey, let's work this out, brother. I think that I've been slider. I think you've sinned against me. But what I love about the word of God is it it, it makes sure that we can't get out of this responsibility because then in Matthew chapter 5, he says, if you're sitting there giving your offering and you remember that your brother has something against you, go to them. Do, Do you see the perfection of God's word? You got a problem with your brother or sister or your wife or whoever it is, you go to them. If you think or even have a hunch that they have something against you, you stop what you're doing, even stop your worship. You go to them and you begin to try to make sure that you find out what's going on. Why? Because we are all vulnerable in these precious relationships in which God has given us. Number two, beware of why divisions occur. Beware of why divisions occur. Now, this isn't going to come to any kind of news to you, but when we look at this story, are you a little amazed that this is what did them in? That this is the issue, it seems like such a small issue, but has such devastating effects through, throughout the relationship. I mean, if you knew Barnabas and Paul at the time, if you were actually walking with them, and you knew what kind of men they were, you knew what kind of relationship they had, when you found out that they broke up, you, your, 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 your mind would explode. For some of you, it would be like the same news as, as when Captain and Tennille broke up, right? Some of you... Only some of you are that old, right? That remember that the ones that laughed. All right, congratulations. The rest of you, YouTube it, Google it, whatever. And so they break up, and they're shocked at this. And, 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 and imagine going. The, the talk would be like this: Man, this must have been big. I can't even imagine how big this issue and argument must have been for them to be able to break apart. It must be huge. And then you actually you go and you go. Maybe you know Barnabas. Barnabas, what happened? Well, let me tell you what happened. We're going to go on this trip. And um, I wanted to take my cousin, and he wouldn't let me. That's what happened. And you'd sit there and go, surely there's got to be more than this. But it seems so small, but it always seems to be so small on the surface because we often know that there's other things that are going on, don't we? Uh, Yeah, it's just kind of like a tip of the iceberg. Sometimes, Sometimes these divisions happen because there's just greatly different people. Would you agree with that? You, you, they're just bent differently. There's no greater example than I think than these two. We have Barnabas, who is, again, the son of encouragement. He's always reaching out to outsiders, whether it has to do with poor people, whether it has to do with the Gentiles, even with Paul. We had brought that up. And this might even be a part of his perspective and argument against Paul. He sits there and says, Paul, of anybody in the world who understands the importance of having a second chance, you should. I gave you a second chance when nobody else would, when you persecuted the church, and now you won't give a second chance to my cousin Mark, and all he is guilty of is having cold feet. You can can see that argument, could you not? That it, it seems like a legitimate deal. 
But then when you look over to, to, to Paul, he's going to look at this completely different. Because let's face it, Paul is no son of encouragement. He's the toughest man alive, right? By his own admission, when he talks about his life, and, and, and he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, his life included being whipped five times, beaten with rods three times, stoned once, shipwrecked three times, in danger of, of rivers and robbers, threatened to death by Jews, Gentiles, starvation, thirst, and exposure. A guy that experiences this for the call and and the obedience of the sake of Jesus Christ has a hard time with a guy who says he's going to follow Christ and he bails because he misses mommy, right? This is difficult for him. This is, well, let, let, let me say it this way. It's like a business owner sitting down who has 100 employees who work 60 hours a week and has 10 children to, to, to take care of at home. And one day he's sitting across the table with a young man who's belly aching. This young man is single, he lives at home with mom and dad, and he works part-time at the Jiffy store, right? And this man is complaining to the CEO, this owner of this company, about how stressful his life is. When you get yourself in that situation, what happens? You just have a hard time understanding how in the world this person can see the things the way that he does. It makes no sense to you. And oftentimes within our relationships, this is what we see. We're just different people. And it often causes friction and dissension. Other times, it's a result of unresolved issues. That we know that it wasn't because of that. It wasn't because of that issue. It's like hearing about a husband and a wife, and you're like, man, they're getting a divorce. What? What happened? Well... You know, she was telling me that she had gone to the grocery store and she, she, she got home, she gave her the milk, and he just went crazy. Well, what do you go crazy about? Well, what she, she bought 2% milk rather than whole milk. And, and he's angry because they've been married for 20 years and she knows he doesn't drink that, that, that wimpy 2% milk. And, and then all of a sudden you sit back and go, yeah, this, something more has got to be going on than just this milk. You begin to find that there's these unresolved issues that they just let fester and fester and fester and go on and go on longer and, and, and longer until both of them, no matter what happened, it was just ready to ignite and explode the whole relationship. Now, these are true. It is true that there are differing personalities and unresolved conflicts that, that really drive a wedge and potentially destroy even the strongest relationships. But there's something greater than all of these that the Bible pinpoints as a cause of division amongst us. In fact, it says it to us. It says that really the problem with us is our own selfish desires. The Bible says clearly, James chapter 4 and verses 1 through 2 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? In other words, what causes divisions? What causes these sharp arguments that arise from one another? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. So what, what we find is, is really the reason for divisions is simply because we want something in the relationship that the other person is just refusing to be able to give us. And if they don't give it to us, we're willing to be able to dig in our heels strong enough and ultimately say that if I don't get what I want, then forget the relationship. I'm willing to forego the relationship in which I've enjoyed in the past. Now, this is difficult because when you look at this, I have to ask the question, who is right in this situation? You know, we always ask that. Who is right? Who is wrong? And usually there's probably right and wrong amongst both parties to some level or some degree. And so what we find with this is we could, if we're really going to try to work it out, we could say that Paul was really in the right here. 
And the fact be that simply that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, meaning that he had authority over Barnabas. And I want to let you know that a lot of our relationships are built like that. A husband and wife, parents and children, a boss and their worker. And so he, he does this because what is ultimately supposed to happen is if you are underneath the authority of another, what are we supposed to do? We may want something, but we submit to the other person. There's even evidence that here that the church itself ended up commending both Paul and Silas. So it seems like maybe they were more right because of the position. But there's another side to this, I think, as well. Because even if you are the husband or the boss or you are the parent, you understand that selfishness can really, really, really play havoc with us, with the authority in which God has given you. And you can begin to think, well, I'm going to get, and I'm going to use this power to always get whatever it is that I want in the relationship because I have the power and I have the right. But on the other side, for Paul, it should have been also, which we're called to even as husbands, is to make sure that we're not looking after our own interests, but looking after the interests of our wives. To be able to treat other people as though they're as important as we are. To make sure that we're not looking for our own selfish desires, but we're looking for the needs of those who are ultimately around us. So the truth of the matter is, is many of this, many of these problems, the real cause of them is our own selfish desires that we have inside of our heart. If somebody won't give what we want, then we're willing to be able to risk and to be able to give up the relationship altogether. Here's the third thing that we find, and this is, this is the hope that we have. Beware that divisions can be redeemed. Beware that divisions can be redeemed. Not only that they happen and why they happen, but also that they can be redeemed by God. There's a silver lining that happens in this story, and, and that is that God, through his providence, actually makes things somewhat work out in this whole situation. What we read is that they do split up, but they still continue to go out. If you continue to read, you find out that it's Barnabas who chooses Mark, and they end up going to Cyprus, which was Barnabas' hometown. And then we find out that Paul ends up picking, uh, excuse me, Barnabas' hometown. Then Paul ends up picking Silas, and they go off, actually, which is they intended to go on their previous journey, but now they go somewhere completely different. They go over to Syria, and they go to Cilicia, which is God kind of changes their platform, the place that they go. So now instead of one missionary group, you have what? Two missionary groups. So now you have two propagating the gospel, two teaching. Now, what's the, what's the principle there? It's the general principle that we see throughout Scripture. God can take what you and I have really messed up, and he can use it for his good, and he can use it for his glory. Now, here's the danger with that comment. The danger of that comment is I know all too many people who sit there when you're confronting them in sin, who will sit back and in their sin will say, well, it's okay, God will redeem it. I'm going to make this decision, but I know that God is good, and I know that God can ultimately make something of it. That's the sin of presumption, and that's not taking sin seriously at all. To be able to sit back and go, I'm going to sin so that grace may abound, it's completely contrary to the word of God and the teaching and the heart of Jesus Christ and the heart of repentance at that. And so we find this, we, we, we find that he kind of brings them together, but we also see that there is, there is also kind of some kind of reconciliation between all of them. Uh, in fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, which is written after this particular passage, what we find is that Paul wrote recognizing and affirming the validity of Barnabas' ministry when they were split apart. So there was some level of reconciliation. There's some type of, hey, he's a good guy. He, he's legitimate. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. That's, that's some type, some level of, even though we don't see him for the rest of the book of Acts work together, there's something that happened there. 
Then we see as well with Mark, uh, or with Mark, really this was the real tension between Paul and Mark from beginning. This is what caused it all. And even there we see a beautiful picture of redemption. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul recommended Mark to the church at Colossae, saying, hey, he's worthwhile. He, he, he's worth being a pastor at your church and listen to him and he's a great minister. Then again, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, we, fall, we find Paul says that, he had proven, he had, he had, uh, that Mark had proven helpful to Paul. This is when he was in prison when he's about to die. And then he actually says this in his letter, send to me Mark of all the people that he could desire, any, of all the people he could have asked for and requested, he asked for Mark. Do you think some level of reconciliation had been done there before? Absolutely. So what do we do with this? Well, let me just give you just a couple things I want to just drive home. There is always hope of reconciliation. There's almost always hope of reconciliation. And what I mean by that, there's hope, because I don't have hope in myself or hope in the one that I'm divided with, but I do have hope in God. Here's why. Because God was able to reconcile God and us through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. The differences between us and God was infinite. The problem between us and God was infinite. That is, he is our God, he is our creator, we are his people, and we rebelled against him, and yet God was able to reconcile the two through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If God, here's the point, if God can make that reconcile, can reconcile us with God, he can reconcile you and I with each other. He can reconcile you and I, or you and a husband and wife, no matter how bad it seems. He has the power to be able to do so. So that should give us hope. That should, that should encourage all of us. Let me give you a couple points real quick. Let me encourage you to value the person and the relationship you're with more than what you want from the person you're in the relationship with. Every relationship we know, look, my wife and I, we've been married for 20 years. Told you guys this like last week or whatever it was. And, and uh, thank you so much, whoever put that big giant clock in the back. It makes me sure that I don't go long. Uh, appreciate that. And so just a reminder. Um, anyway, just, just with a, Dan, whoever it is. But uh, anyway, and uh, so I can't miss it. It's like even with glasses off, I can see it very clearly. And so, um, I'm, so I'm surprised it's not flashing at this point. Three minutes, three minutes. Um, but the idea is my, my wife and I had been married for, for, had been married, we're still together, um, for, for 20 years. Um, and so we'd been married for 20 years. And, you know, in the beginning, you know what the biggest disagreement that she and I had was? This is going to come to a complete shock, money. I know, I know that's hard to believe. That, 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 here's the one. I'm a spender, and she's a saver. Is, do we have anybody like that? A spender and a saver, all right? If you get married, that's usually how it works. And in the beginning of our marriage, the biggest cause of strife has been, I spend too much, she saves too much and has no fun. All right, that's kind of my, 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 my view, all right? And so, so that's how we look together. 20 years later, praise God, by the mercy of God, I still spend too much and she saves too much, right? We still have the same exact problem. We're not different. We have tried to change each other time and time again, and the majority of our fights has been that I want her to do something, she wants me to do something, and the truth of the matter is I'm just letting you know but by the grace of God, your spouse is probably not going to change a whole lot. Now, we become more like Christ. I've, over the years, become more responsible because I had a billion children. 
And I realize that we can't spend all that money. We're just spending it in a different place. So God has a way of working that out. But what you have to begin to do, if, if you don't come to the point where you begin to value the person more than what you, it is that you want from them, that relationship will constantly be in turmoil and will constantly be in threat of being broken apart. Second thing is we are called to work diligently at resolving unresolved issues. You have to work at these things. I always know, I'm going to give you a little insight for Pastor 101. I know when many of you are about to leave. Here's what happens. You're really friendly with me. Pastor, man, it's great. It's great to see you and everything. All of a sudden, I say hello to you in the hallway, and this is what you do. Hey, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. i got to get the kids. We'll go. And you're sitting there going, uh-oh, something's up. I don't know what's going on. So if I come to you oftentimes and go, hey, is uh, there something going on? No, 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 nothing at all. When I ask you that question, that's an opportunity for you to go, you know what, there is a problem. You preach too long, and I put that clock up in the back, right? So, <laughs> so there's issue. There's something that you can do that, that we, you need to engage. Don't let those things with brothers and sisters in Christ, with a wife, with a child, whatever, go undisclosed, go undeal with, go to them, talk with them, try to work it out. Here, here's the second thing is seek peace with everyone. I love Romans 12, verse 18. It tells us this. It says, if possible, as far as it depends on you. It tells me two things, if possible. Everything is impossible with God, but on a human level, there are some things that just are not going to be possible. And what I mean is, it's going to be impossible because the person you're trying to reconcile with has no desire to be reconciled with you. Does that ever happen? And that hurts. But you need to understand that. Because sometimes when you and I have wronged other people, we've done wrong and that relationship is broken, our hearts are so hurting for reconciliation in that, and we just want them to give that to us, and they won't give it to us. And sometimes folks just are not going to reconcile, no matter what it is. Some people are just divisive. Have you ever met them? They're just divisive. Every once in a while, as elders, we just, you know, some, somebody comes into the church, and we love everybody, and we want them to be here, and we want, but there's somebody that comes in, and they start complaining for the moment that they get inside the church about everybody, about everything, and we just kind of sit back and go, you know, I'm not so sure this is the right way, place for you. And then we very graciously offer up several other churches that they could go to that we think they'd fit better in, right? Don't really do that. Just say, you know, this, it just may not be exactly a great fit. Uh, The scriptures tell us this in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. It says, For as a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. In other words, people that cause up division, that's just what they do. And sometimes that's just how people are. And it's impossible to really reconcile with folks that are like. But it says, As possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You are to drive and to struggle and to see and to make sure that the relationships that God has given you and I, as far as it is dependent upon you to seek peace with all people. There are sometimes, let me, let me say one more thing, and I think I'll get in trouble for saying this, but there are sometimes that you do have to walk away from a relationship. But I'm, I'm gonna, I know that can get me in all kinds of trouble. Because there are sometimes when you sit there and go, we are just in two different places. There is just no way. We would do better apart than we would be able to come together and to be able to say, I am not talking about the covenant of marriage. I am not talking about the covenant of marriage. A marriage is completely different than any other, relation, any other human relationship. Would you agree with that? It is until death do you part. 
There are friendships that somehow, sometimes have to go other ways. There are relationships that we have with others that sometimes have to go the other ways. There are either sometimes problems within a church where you just finally just have to sit there and go, you know, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. As important as that commitment and that fellowship is, a marriage is not one of them. But what I would say is that there are just some times that it's not going to be possible. You've done everything, but it's not for a lack of trying. You've done everything you can through the power of God, through the mercy of God, to be able to sustain and to reconcile the relationships in which God has given us. And it is possible. Why? Because of the saving grace that Jesus Christ sent to us and gave to us to reconcile us with God. If he can do that, he can do what it is within our own relationships. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you. We love you. We glorify you. I thank you for this morning. God, I hope that this has been helpful. It's been corrective. It's been healing. God, I know that our desire is that that there are probably relationships right now that are in that turmoil, in that struggle. God, for those that aren't, let let us not take for granted these relationships that we have, but be aware that sin can so easily enter into these relationships and destroy them all. God, let us be people of grace. Let us be people who are constantly forgiving and forbearing. Let us be people who are constantly to try to seek and to be able to resolve the the divisions that we have for the glory of God. When they are not possible, for whatever reason that is, God, we may know that you are good and that you are gracious and that, God, you are forgiving and that, God, we're not second-class citizens, but that you still have a plan for us as you did with these two. God, may you be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? And here's your invitation. We, we do this every week. You may be new, but let me just say this. What we do is we just have an invitation where we respond to Christ in the preaching of the word of God. What that means is you may sit there. There may be sin that you need to repent of. There may be something that you've learned and you say, God, let this be your will for my life. There might be somebody that you know you need to go to and reconcile with. But it also might be that the Holy Spirit has been working you in, with you in such a way that you need to come to faith. You haven't come to authentic faith in Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to give that opportunity for you as well. I'm going to be standing down here. If you want to come either to pray or to know more about Christ, you come as we, as we pray today.